The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago, and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C. You can read my take on the presidential race in The Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, dot com, front slash, Brad dash Bannon. My new contribution to the Hill is my take on Joe Biden's presidential campaign. My company, Bannon Communication Research, pulls for and designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon. We'll discuss the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border today. Our guest in the first half hour is Hope Fry, Executive Director of Project Lifeline. We'll talk with Dr. Donna Kim Murphy uh, of Project Lifeline in the second half hour. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today on the show. Inquiring minds want to know, how should we solve the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border? Two, would you support a plan that would enhance border security and create a path to American citizenship for undocumented immigrants? Third, is it fair to call the detention centers on the Mexican border concentration camps? Our guest in this half hour is Hope Fry. Hope is an internationally recognized immigration lawyer focused on disadvantaged populations, especially women and children. She is the co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline, a nonprofit focused on children who are or were in immigration uh, detention in Custom and Border Patrol jails or shelters or ICE family detention facilities. Project Lifeline's mission spans the child experience with the goal of providing continuity of care. They the only nonprofit with a medical with medical and legal programs. Uh, Hope, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Brad. I'm so pleased to be back. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm glad you could get back. 
Uh, we had you on the show a couple of months ago to talk about the conditions uh, on the Mexican border uh, and the detention centers, uh, which I think personally are deplorable. Now, when we had you on last time, I th- we were in a phase where there was a lot of public attention on the deplorable positions in the uh, border camps. Uh, there really hasn't been much focus on it, uh, it seems to me, in the national media in the last couple of months. Uh, is that just because we've forgotten um, or have conditions there changed? Conditions are the same, Brad. Um, this is a classic kind of thing. We have had other times in 2016 when the border facilities were outed, and then again uh, in 2019, there's a lot of, and, and separation of children in 2018. There is a huge flurry and outcry, and everyone's all outraged. And it lasts three to four months. And then it drops from the news cycle. I think you saw it in the recent death of Carlos Gregorio Hernandez Vasquez, where uh, ProPublica obtained a film. And uh, I did not look at it because I actually think it's very gruesome to to see that. Uh, and I've seen enough things uh, in person. But the world could see what happened to this child as he died in Border Patrol custody. There was virtually, there was no outcry about it to speak of. Um, and I, I think, you know, we... We collectively, when there's something big, we collectively become outraged for about five minutes. But because it's not real to us, we're in our homes, we have food, we turn the heat up, um, our children are, are safe. It's something that's divorced from our reality so we don't internalize it, and it just slips from view. I remember when I had you on the show last time, Hope, and I might have said this on the air when you were on, I don't remember, but I was really outraged by what I saw on television, and I was outraged but about what you told our listeners uh, about the conditions there in these camps, and I remember saying to myself, or I might have said it on the air, I don't remember, uh, I hope no one forgets about this. I hope people don't get distracted and forget about what's going on uh, on the border. It just seems to me unconscionable the way we're treating these families uh, and the way we're treating uh, these children. Um, it, uh, I just think it's an affront to American values. Um, you know, Fred, we, we who, who occupy this state on a full-time basis realize that what you say is absolutely true. I mean, you've nailed it. So after the Border Patrol fiasco in June, when everybody knew what was going on, we started a project called Project Amplify. It's projectamplify.org. And at that website, you can find links to declarations that were taken at very different times in different facilities, including the Border Patrol declarations. These are statements of children or mothers and children that were made when we visited them uh, in detention. And these are the statements that are used in the court proceedings. And we invite the public, anyone, a grassroots effort to take the words of the children and do something. Lots of people have done art, they've done music, kids have painted rocks. Um, One woman whose children are too young to actually do it themselves 
red sentences to them, and the children drew pictures on cardboard, and they papered their yard and made an art installation. Um, if we keep the words of the children out there, their actual words, their suffering, if we keep it out there in the public domain broadly enough, enough of us in our communities, it becomes harder to ignore it. Um, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I just want to say a word, if I might, about the child um, that, that ProPublica uh, released the, the video, if I might. Um, I, I tell you what, let, let's do We've got to go to break now, but uh, why don't we get right to that when we get back uh, from break. Our guest in this half hour is Hope Fry, who's the executive director of Project Lifeline. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after these messages. Brad Bannon, we're back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour talking about the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border is Hope Fry. She is the co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline. Uh, the uh, We've been talking about the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border um, I encourage all our listeners to go to the Project Lifeline website, which is projectlifeline.us. Uh, I think what's going on on the Mexican border is a travesty uh, to American, basic American values. And I encourage our listeners to check out projectlifeline.us uh, to find out for yourself what's going on in the Mexican border. Uh, before we went to break, Hope, I interrupted you. Uh, please continue. Um, this boy, Carlos Vasquez, died in the Westwaco uh, Border Patrol Station, which is in the Rio Grande Valley, and I was there shortly after he died. Um, and I had a conversation. This is, you know, it's a place where they quarantine people, children who are sick. Mostly they have the flu, although they had chicken pox and other diseases. Um, and it sounds good, but the quarantine happens in exactly the same circumstance uh, as the kids are held in the larger Border Patrol stations. That is, they're on concrete floors in freezing cold uh, cages or rooms with the lights on all the time. Um, and I and this boy died on the concrete floor, and those people who looked at the video uh, can see that. What they don't know is that it's freezing in there and the lights are on. Um, but I had a conversation with a Border Patrol officer who's stationed there. And what he said to me, and this is shortly after this child died, was um, these people, and he's talking about children, have no right to come here. They should stay home, and we should never let them in in the first place. And I really don't care if they're sick or not. So um, it's not surprising that this child was ignored, and after being in custody for seven days, um, died on the floor in a pool of blood. God, that's incredibly sad. Just to, what was the name? This this was a 16-year-old boy, correct? That's right. He's a Guatemalan child. He actually died in May, uh, but ProPublica just 
got for the Freedom of Information Act, a video that the Westlaco police have. Border Patrol has no transparency. They would never release, they don't release documents, statistics, numbers, uh, nothing. When I was doing congressional hearings in the summer, um, congressmen and senators said to me that they also cannot get this information. What was, what was the name of this this boy, just to give him His name is Carlos Gregoria Hernandez Vasquez. He was 16. He's Guatemalan. He comes from an area in Guatemalan um, that is principally Mayan. He's the youngest of eight children. He played two types of instrument, a percussion and a sort of an indigenous trumpet. Um, He loved soccer. He was extremely good at it. He was very good at school. He traveled with his older sister. And boys and girls are separated. And they're held in different places. Um, so he was by himself when he died. It's really, uh, really tragic. And I, I, I'm editorializing here, but I, I can't believe that uh, the Trump administration allows this to happen. Now, I understand other children have died uh, while they've been uh, in custody in these camps. Is this true? Oh, absolutely. We have a seven-year-old girl from, I mean, excuse me, a 10-year-old girl from El Salvador, uh, an eight-year-old boy from Guatemala, a seven-year-old girl from Guatemala, 16-year-old boy from Guatemala, a two-and-a-half-year-old baby from Guatemala. Um, and those are the children who died in Border Patrol. Then there's another child, a 19-month-old child, who died in ICE custody with her mother in Dili. Um, when we look at this, we have... Three children, excuse me, four children who came in in the El Paso Border Patrol section and two who came in in the Rio Grande Valley who died. At El Paso, when people come in, they're initially held in outside pens, and it's hot in the day, and El Paso is the desert, and it's freezing at night. Migrants have uh, any extra clothing taken from them. All their possessions are taken and thrown away, baby's medicine, baby's food. Um, And I've talked to many mothers whose children got extremely sick in these pens, and three of the children who died have been held there. Yeah, uh, have there been any ramific? You know, honestly, when I heard about the the death of this boy, that, that's what prompted me to uh, do the show today uh, because I just think it was so outrageous. Have there been any ramifications from the death of this child? It seems to me, you know, episodes like this with children dying should have ramifications. I mean, people just shouldn't be able to get away with this kind of malfeasance. Have there been any repercussions since the death of this boy? No. There haven't been for any of these deaths. Nobody's been discharged. Um, there's been no discipline. The The judge in the Flores case, which is the case that concerns the, the conditions that children are held in and that they're released, uh, they have appointed a very highly respected physician to inspect all the Border Patrol facilities and make recommendations. Um, the government gets to weigh in on those recommendations. This is a litigation, so it's very hard fought. The, litig- the recommendations aren't public yet, so we don't know whether whether anything will change, but the court is looking at it. In the meantime, children are continuing to die. Uh, if it was up to you, Hope, how, how would you deal with this situation? 
of all, no child should ever be detained. The trauma from detention is is incredible. Child welfare workers should be involved from the very beginning. Border Patrol has no business being in this space. These children are traumatized at home. They arrive traumatized. We have uh, in the the CDC and uh, in the public sector wonderful uh, juvenile welfare experts, and we should use best practices with these children. Um, in, and manage them in the way that we would want our children. We should also end the migrant protocol, which Donna is going to talk about in the second half, where people are sent back into Mexico uh, after they're processed here and they're living in dangerous squalor. Um, children are getting extremely sick. She's going to talk about that. And that was the Trump administration solution. Let's just keep people in, in camps in Mexico. They don't have food. They don't have water. Um, babies are being bathed in, uh, people are being bathed in, in polluted water um, uh, in the Rio Grande. So what's happened, uh, while it stopped flow of people in some respects, um, is it has least as at least as inhumane as the conditions of detention. And you know, Brad, we are fermenting um, people who the next generation of people are in in Central America are going to be extremely angry with us for the way we've treated people, and that's how we get gangs and we get um, uh, violence directed towards the United States by our own misguided, cruel, inhumane. Um, illegal treatment of people, people like you and me, Brad, children like your children and my children. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I'm really having a hard time, you know, getting this straightened out in my head. I just don't realize how people in the Trump administration and Homeland Security or whatever uh, can countenance treating people this way. Uh, you know, treating anybody this way, much less uh, children. Uh, if uh, I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners must be as horrified about the situation as you are or I am, uh, what, what can they do to help? Well, oh, well I'm sorry. That's going to be it. We're running out of time. I want to thank uh, our guest, uh, Hope Fry. Uh, we discussed the horrendous conditions in the border camp. We'll be back with more discussion about the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border after these messages on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Donald Trump and his henchmen have a strange way of celebrating the holiday season. The holiday season is the season of giving, but last week the Trump administration called for eliminating more more hundreds of thousands of people from the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which provides food to the poor and disabled. Meanwhile, wealthy Americans will feast this holiday season on the big tax breaks they received last year from the Republicans. The holidays are also a season for families getting together. While we're at home with our families during the holidays, thousands of people, 
Men, women, and children will spend their Christmas in cages in camps on the Mexican border. Two weeks ago, a 16-year-old boy, Carlos Gregorio Hernandez Vasquez, died in one of those camps. Americans should enjoy the holidays with their friends, but we should be mindful that thousands of immigrants seeking a better life for themselves and their children have been separated from their families by a cold, heartless president. If Donald Trump really wants to put the Christ back in Christmas, he might want to start with himself and be mindful of the poor and of the people who have come to the United States to seek a better life for them and their children. Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Donna Kim Murphy, uh, the other folk, the other co-founder of Project Lifeline, along with our first half-hour guest, Hope Fry. Uh, Dr. Murphy uh, is the director of medical initiatives at Project Lifeline. Donna, uh, Donna and Project Lifeline just rolled out a new service this past weekend for the refugees waiting in Montemoros, where they provide them with forensic psych evaluations. Since Donna was in Montemores this past weekend, she knows the latest on conditions there. Uh, Dr. Murphy, thanks for coming on to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We're glad to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, uh, just to give our listeners some context, uh, Montemores is a Mexican city. Uh, right over the uh, Texas border, I think, from across from Brownsville, Texas. Um, tell me what's going on there and why, Amer uh, you know, people in the United States should be concerned about it. Uh, yes. So Matamoros is a city in the state of Tamaulipas in Mexico, and it is right across um, the uh, international bridge from Brownsville. Um, we have had, uh, over the last several months, a growing number of asylum seekers who have accumulated there as a function of the MPP or the Migrant um, Protection, they call the Migrant Persecution Protocols, um, or the Remain in Mexico policy. So I was last there in October um, to uh, help uh, a small NGO, a medical relief effort, uh, recruit physicians to continually staff a field clinic, um, and I went to meet with the medical director, in-country medical director of that NGO, um, and to meet with the executive, the person who's now serving as the executive director of that organization. Um, and at that time, there were closer to a thousand people um, gathered, um, and now there are about two thousand people who are living in an outdoor encampment, literally in tents, at the foot of the international bridge. Okay. Now, I think uh, probably most listeners of the show, when they think of refugee camps, uh, think of uh, camps uh, somewhere in the desert in the Middle East uh, where uh, families displaced by wars or famine or whatever uh, get stuck. Uh, but I imagine they probably don't think about these camps full of uh, men, women, and children uh, just over the Mexican border. Uh, now, explain why these uh, immigrants are, are stuck in Matamoros and, and can't get across to the United States? Uh, 
Um, so the, the U.S. government earlier this year decided to put this uh, Remain in Mexico policy into place such that asylum seekers coming from other countries um, would not be allowed to await their asylum hearings within our country, um, which, you know, is a violation of international agreements, <laughs> um, laws on, on asylees and um and nonetheless, the, the U.S. put this policy into place. It didn't, I think, I think really go into earnest. It wasn't in, in action in earnest, I guess, and at least not in our part, along our part of the border until um, this summer, late this summer. And it is literally like stepping into a refugee camp that you might see of the Rohingya or, you know, a friend of mine said like in South Sudan or in Syria. Um, that's that's precisely what it, it looks like and it, it feels like as you walk into that encampment. And it is astonishing that it is literally within, you know, a couple hundred feet um, of a U.S. city, um, that it's happening right there before our eyes, um, that people are without secure access to food, water, warmth, hygiene, um, you know, until, until I think we were there, and I think MSF also has a small presence there, really without any access to consistent basic medical care. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's ironic because it's, it's kind of like a recapitulation of things that have been happening in, in Customs and Border Protection um, custody for these people, things that we've read about in the news continually about the inhumane conditions of detention are really just being recapitulated in Matamoros. Um, yeah, it's, it's really horrifying, honestly. I mean, the thing that I think is redemptive, um, if you could say anything is redemptive about any of this, is that there have been some amazing, um, you know, grassroots or small organizational efforts um, that have come together very rapidly to, to try to respond to all of the needs of the people living there. Um, and that has been inspiring, Um yeah, but the, the circumstances are horrible, and and I think that the the real relief will come in reversing this policy. Uh, you know, it strikes me again that if there was some kind of uh, natural or man-made disaster somewhere in the Middle East, where there all of a sudden thousands of people. Uh, in refugee camps, you always hear the United States government uh, airlifting supplies, uh, you know, tents, medical supplies, you know, food, whatever. Uh, but apparently there's no rush uh, on the part of the American government uh, to help these poor people uh, who are living within a stone's throw uh, of Brownsville, Texas. And I imagine uh, it's one of those things where the United States government says, well, you know, these people are in Mexico, so it's Mexican it's a Mexican problem. And the Mexican government's thinking, well, these people are here because of a stupid United States policy, so we're not going to help them. The United States should. Uh, and these people are literally caught uh, in no man's land. Right. That's absolutely correct. I mean, it is um, kind of, uh, I forgot how I've put it before, but I mean, it's, it's this kind of emerging, like, stateless society between um, between two countries. Um, I mean, I would say in some respects, that's how 
the the border has always been. It, there has been a bit of that um, always there, uh, but this is just so striking. I mean, and it is so manufactured. You know, it's it's literally the the result um, of. I mean, the effect of, of the MPP as cause, you know, um, and, and the solution would be so simple. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it is, it's difficult to stomach that, that, that our government has, has literally created the problem and it would be so simple to fix it. Um, and, and I think they're very well aware of the cruelty of this policy um, and that's kind of, um, that, that's by design. Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, yeah, it does seem that way. Uh, no one just cares about these people. Uh, we're going to go to break now, but we get back. We'll uh, resume our discussion of the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border with Dr. Uh, Donna Kim Murphy uh, from Project Lifeline. We'll be right back right after these messages with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We're back here with Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. In this hour, we've been discussing the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border. Uh, Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Donna Kim Murphy, who is one of the co-founders of Project Lifetime, and she is also the director of medical initiatives there. Uh, If any of you want to help, and I hope you do, uh, visit the Project Lifeline website, which is projectlifeline.us. Anything uh, anybody can do to call attention to this travesty on the Mexican border uh, and anything you can do to help them, especially in the holiday season, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this show today is, you know, there's all sorts of this talk about family togetherness and, you know, holidays being for children and Americans are enjoying the holidays as they should. Uh, but we should all remember that while we're enjoying the holiday season and the festivities and the gifts and the food, uh, there are people uh, in these detention camps uh, in on the Mexican border in the United States and also people suffering who are sort of existing right over the American border, and we shouldn't forget about them while we're enjoying ourselves. Uh, Donna, you were there in Montemoros uh, this past weekend. Where are these people living um, are, do they have food to eat? Do they have water to drink? Do they have any, I imagine when they're concentrated in these ugly conditions, uh, disease runs rampant. Give our listeners uh, a sense, a picture of what life is like uh, for these immigrants uh, who are living in Matamoros. So they live in an outdoor encampment. Um, they are literally living in tents. Um, that have been donated largely by an organization named Team Brownsville that has done really a remarkable job in securing some of the most basic needs that people have to survive. Um, They actually continue to um, help with shelter um, 
but primarily they've been helping with ensuring that people are fed three meals a day. Um, and when they first started, you know, there were maybe like a 50 people, 100 people, a couple hundred people, um, but now they've been feeding 2,000 people um, three meals a day um, with a few other much smaller efforts just occasionally contributing. Um, so it's been really remarkable. I know that World Central Kitchen um, will be supplying uh, some of the food moving forward for at least the next several months as they redo um, the kitchen that they were working out of uh, Team Brownsville. Um so, so people are stepping up to make sure that, that some of these basic needs are being met, um, which is reassuring, but it is um, it, it's kind of ridiculous um, that, that we have to do this, right, when there are two um, major governments that could be contributing to relief here um, or to have never creating, you know, it, it would have been better had they never created the problem, had the United States never created the problem. Um, and nonetheless, with this policy in place, we, get, we you know, would benefit from uh, others uh, being involved in, in doing some of this work. But we are there, and um, it is um, uh, it's it's a very difficult situation. Uh, beyond food and shelter, they uh, also most recently we documented the first cases of flu in the camp, and that's been a real challenge. Uh, we knew that this was potentially going to be. Um, uh, a, a difficult flu season, and that's that uh, I think is evidenced by some of what is coming out now about what, what we're seeing um, across our country, uh, the United States, and um, and I think that um, it, we we haven't unfortunately <laughs> had a, a major. Um, organization commit to doing a campaign to vaccinate people there and you you know people listeners might have heard recently about the uh, visibility that the physicians got who had been advocating for flu vaccinations within CBP detention facilities um, and I think that that's very very important it's part of the, the advocacy that we should do uh, about reform of those agencies under DHS, um, generally speaking. Um, the reality is that many people under the MPP are no longer in those facilities. They're on the other side of the border, and they aren't vaccinated either. Um, and we're really um, quite worried uh, because we have a lot of vulnerable people, including young children. And in Matamoros, we have about the third, a third of the population, a quarter to a third of the population are children, um, and they are higher risk. And when you have, um, you know, an environment that has people in close quarters, um, communicable disease spreads more readily. So, um, you know, flu is a deadly illness. It kills, it claims, I guess, like over 600,000 people a year uh, worldwide. And, you know, this is not trivial. So, um, yeah, I don't know what else I can say. Now, are there people in the Trump administration, this may be a stupid question, but I'll ask it anyway. I'm famous for asking stupid questions on the show. Are there people in the Trump administration who are concerned about this situation and the the conditions they've created on both sides of the border uh, in terms of, uh, you know, treating these uh, people who were just simply trying to find a better life for themselves and their children? Or do they just say, oh, it's their fault. They're, you know, they're trying to enter this country illegally. So whatever they got, they've got coming to them. 
Are there any concern in the Trump administration in Washington about what's going on, the crisis, the humanitarian crisis on the Mexican border? Yeah, so first, um, I, I do want to emphasize that these are largely asylum seekers. Um, so they aren't people who are coming here for economic opportunities. A small number of them are, but many people are actually fleeing violence. Um, and this is all kinds of violence, gang violence, sexual violence, political persecution, um, violence against LGBT communities or other social groups. Um, I mean, there, there are are many, you know, very compelling cases for asylum among among this population in Matamoros. I mean, part of what I was doing well, almost all of what I was doing this weekend was um, helping to launch this medical legal effort um, that, uh, you know, connects physicians to attorneys, immigration attorneys, to make sure that asylum cases are as strong as they can be with physicians evaluating people for physical, um, uh, you know, signs of uh uh, violent, you know, violent actions taken against them, right? So scarring, disfiguration, um, and also psychological evidence, so mental and emotional trauma that is sustained because of, of the violence from which they flee. Um, so, so these people are, um, they're asylum seekers, and that's what I think people need to understand, right? And, um, and, and yeah, as to the question of whether people in this administration are um, sympathetic <laughs> at all, um, are um, I guess the word is contrite, maybe, about the, the problems that they've caused. Um, I, I don't know, frankly. I mean, nobody has reached out to me personally to tell me that from this administration. I don't hear that in the news at all. Um, so I really don't know. And um, it's, I, I just don't understand it, you know, as, as a health care provider, as someone who um, is indiscriminate in the people that I treat. I can't imagine treating people with this you know, these kinds of vulnerabilities and the way that they're being treated by our government right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's part of the problem I, I have with this whole discussion. It just seems so incomprehensible uh, to me. Uh, anyway, Dr. Murphy, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, if any of our listeners want to help, uh, you can go to the uh Project Lifeline website, which is projectlifeline.us. But that's all for today, folks. Uh, thanks to my guest, uh, Hope Fry and Dr. Uh, Donna Kim Murphy. Uh, I'm here every Monday at 3 o'clock if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. And unless, of course, Donald Trump declares a martial law, which is sadly a possibility. I'll be talking again soon. <laughs>